we are so blessed here at Northside to have worship leaders like we've had this morning. I feel like really all I need to do is just say amen and sit down. <laughs> Much of what I had planned to say has been said uh, through the prayers and through the songs, and it's wonderful. Of course, having the advantage of having studied and studied and prepared on this, uh, I was able to really enjoy and appreciate our worship, perhaps more than anyone else could. You know, we need to be reminded from time to time how important the Lord's Day Assembly is. What an awesome opportunity and a blessing to come before God and to open our hearts and to use words to express what we feel uh, toward Him. You know, this is a grand assembly. This is a big deal. The Lord's Day hour, we call it, we have this morning, is more important, bigger than Thanksgiving, New Year's, and the Fourth of July. Uh, more special, with greater consequences than the playoffs, the Super Bowl, and the Final Four. And so, the big question is, how does our personal worship measure up to what God expects? Is your heart in your worship? In all three dispensations, patriarchal, Jewish, and Christian, many principles have remained constant. Old methods of worship and all have changed a great deal, but there's much that's not changed. And that is the fact that God has always expected his children to fear him, love him, obey him, serve him, trust him, depend on him, and worship him. That has never changed. All these you and I are to do from our heart. Consistently and with sincerity, humility, joy, and passion. Not only on the Lord's Day assembly as today, but every day, 24-7. This is the way we are to approach God. One very clear truth I learned from the New Testament is that God will not accept my worship, my obedience, my service, if it doesn't come from my heart, from my cardia. And that's the Greek word that the apostles and prophets used and from which is translated heart, the cardia, the cardiologist, the cardiac arrest. That's where we get that word. This sermon applies to me. I need it just as much as any of you. But throughout this lesson, I'm going to use the personal pronouns you and your. I don't usually do that. I feel a little uncomfortable doing that. I normally say I and we. But it could be worse. I could say they and theirs. <laughs> But today, I'm going to say you and yours, just so you'll take it very uh, 
personally. So brace yourself. Without a sincere heart, our worship will not get off the ground. Our heart is to our worship what wings are to an airplane. The wings provide the lift that gets the plane in the air. Our heart provides the lift that gets our worship acceptable unto God. Artificial worship is empty worship. Such worship could be evidence of a serious spiritual problem if it is our normal way. Look at what Paul said about the communion as it relates to our heart. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is, while you're partaking, you are sending out a message. You are proclaiming that the Lord Jesus Christ came, lived, died on the cross, was resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. That's what you proclaim when you partake. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That is, if you partake and you do not proclaim this, if your heart is not in it, if you don't mean what you're saying, then you're guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body properly or rightly. For this reason, he said, many of you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That is, he's saying, because your heart is not in your worship, many of you have become sick and weak spiritually, and some of you have gone to sleep spiritually. So pretended worship bypasses the heart. It is shallow, a shallow habit, a ritual, and it does not please God, and it doesn't do anything for our faith and our spirituality. Routine, insincere worship is an insult to our loving God and results in our own shame and guilt before him. Paul wrote that worship is the reason many are weak spiritually. In Luke 6.45, Jesus said, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And again, he said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So heart and treasure go together. You can't have one without the other. That'll make some of you remember Frank Sinatra's song. Love and marriage. Love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. And he said, you can't have one without the other. I thought about singing that, but... And I could. But the point is, heart and treasure go together. You can't have one without the other. God is very interested in what is in your heart and comes from your heart. 
when you worship God, whether it's privately at home or in this grand assembly, you are expected by God to bring forth good treasure from your heart. It's a challenge, a real challenge, but we're up to it. In this lesson, we're going to explore the treasure of the heart as it relates to worship in the public assembly. This is where I believe, brethren, we are the most vulnerable, the weakest, and subject to temptation. It certainly leaves us prey to distractions. We have to be careful about distractions. Don't let anyone distract you from your worship. And don't be guilty of doing something that distracts others from the worship. I always feel sorry for young mothers who are trying to bring up their little babies and little children. And we love you and we love our children. We are blessed with so many here at Northside. And so mothers, don't worry about it. God knows your heart. And because you are a woman, you can multitask anyway. <laughs> Men couldn't do that. But bless your heart, you get up and take that little child, that little baby out. It doesn't bother any of us. We're happy for you. But now beyond that, sometimes children older than little babies and children that should know better, who have not been taught at home to whisper, have not been taught at home to mind. Sometimes they get out of order and disrupt by yelling, by crying loudly, by fussing. When that happens, mothers or fathers should take the children from the auditorium because it's very distracting. Not only to yourself, but to others. And there's nothing anybody else can do about it. So it's up to you to take the children out. We have training room, we have nursery, we have a foyer, we have bathrooms. We have places where you can go to try to correct the child, to teach the child. And then remember when you get home, do your homework. And so we're, we're all challenged your spiritual heart is probably where you need to make the greatest improvement in your obedience, your service, and your worship. And I said you, but of course I mean me as uh, well. Now I love that story that uh, our brother read to us this morning. And I get the picture here. Almost two years have passed since the baby was born. Oh, I know. In plays and in artwork and all, you see this, the uh, wise men standing beside the shepherds at the manger, manger where the little baby is. Not didn't happen. Wise men, they came, as the reading was, they came to a house, not the manger, came to a house where the little boy and Mary were. I can just picture it in my mind. These wise men, I'm going to say three because I think there probably were three, but they came and knocked on the door and Mary went to the door and she couldn't believe it. Here stood these very important-looking men with their expensive robes and turban and their beards. And here were camels that were loaded down with stuff and servants and maybe even soldiers. And she said, yes. He said, we understand that there's a little boy here that was born about two years ago. Yes, we've come to worship him because the prophets have said he is the king. And Mary says, come in. 
Here's going to be something else for Mary to treasure in her heart. So they come in and Mary goes to get the little boy, the little two-year-old boy. He may have been in a little crib that his daddy made, or he may have been playing with little wooden toys that the carpenter had made. But anyway, she got him and she brought him out here and said, These men have come to see you, Jesus. And stood him there, maybe squatted down on her knees behind him and waited. And these men, these important wise men, counselors of kings, astronomers, they bowed down, got down on their knees, their face down. And with their heart, they worshipped this little boy because they knew he would one day be king. A great example. And they opened up their treasures and they gave him gifts. And I can just see that little two-year-old standing there wondering, what is this all about? I'm not that important, surely. But he was. I love that story. And you know, there was more humility and more sincerity and more devotion and worship in what those wise men did than was being done by any of the religious Jews of that day. And not only that, more than what's being done by many Christians today. These men had planned all of this well in advance. They had uh, made a long travel to come. But when they fell down on their knees, none of that was on their mind. Nothing about where are we going to sleep tonight, when are we going to eat, how are we going to get back home. Nothing except what they had come to do. So that's a great story, and we need it, and it fits into my lesson today about worship. Worship is from the Greek word proskuneo, proskuneo. Kuneo is for the word to kiss, to kiss. Pros is our word to prostrate, to bow down toward something or someone. And so proskuneo is translated worship because it means to bow down reverently before one that you can honor. And so that's what we do when we worship. Now, here's something that we don't maybe think about enough, and that is that worship involves glorifying and praising God, thanking our Father for his love and mercy and providential care, seeking our Father's grace and his healing and his help, and asking for wisdom, guidance, courage, safety, and protection. All of those things are a part of worship. That's what worship is. As we, as we come before God. And so these purposes bring us into a loving, close communion with our Creator God, our Heavenly Father. That's why we worship. That's the goal or the purpose of worship. And the avenues that we use to do that, singing, praying, communion, teaching, and giving, they're only avenues. They're only paths on which we can travel. They are the vehicles of transport that get all of this worship up to God, that lifts it up to Him. And so we want to talk more about the heart of worship. Remember Jesus said, as He quoted the Old Testament, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. 
The Jewish people were guilty of lip service only. Their heart wasn't in what they did. Lip service. Lip service means pretense, fake, sham, or a lie. To worship God with lip service means that you're not being truthful about what you're saying or what you're doing. You're only going through the motions. Such worship does not please God and does nothing for your faith or mine or for our spiritual growth. It's an insult to God. Now, there's another story I want us to look at as we're nearing nearing the end of this message. And that's a story found in the Old Testament in the book of Kings, a very familiar story about um, the great prophet Elijah and the contest that he had with the prophets of Baal. So he stood on Mount Carmel. Across from him were these 500 prophets uh, of Baal and all under the control of uh, the wicked queen Jezebel of the northern kingdom. And so Elijah builds an altar of 12 stones. On that altar, he lays wood that's been prepared. On that wood, he lays pieces of an ox that had been butchered. And then he did something very unusual. He dug a trench all the way around. A trench. Then, if that wasn't unusual enough, he commanded that water be brought and poured over the whole thing. And so he poured more water, pour more water. And they kept pouring water over the top of the, the meat and it ran down over the logs and down over the stones and down on the ground until it filled up the trench before he let them stop. And then he stood back and he waited. I don't know how long he waited. I'm sure there was for a while silence as they waited. And then there was a noise. It doesn't say there was a noise, but I know there was a noise. Like when the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, preceded by a noise, a loud noise, and the earth was quaking, and then finally here came the Spirit. And so it is that suddenly the roar and all, and here came the fire direct from heaven down on the top of that sacrifice. It consumed the, the pieces of meat. It consumed... The, the logs, it consumed the stone, it consumed the dust, it consumed the water in the trench. And before it lifted back up, or as it lifted back up, they could look and there was nothing left. God had taken the sacrifice home. And so what I like is what the people uh, said. The people said, the Lord... He is God. The Lord, He is God. Wouldn't it be wonderful sometimes at the very end of service that someone would come up just before we left and say, and get all of us to say, The Lord, He is God. And so, Elijah accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. So what today, as we assemble, we have the altar, the wood, and the sacrifice. Because I'm making an analogy here of what happened on Mount Carmel to what's happening here uh, in the Lord's house, in his temple with his people. And so we're going to let the, uh, 
uh, the altar uh, represent uh, the church, the people, the assembly. And we're going to let the wood represent prayers, songs, communion, teaching, and offering. We're just going to do that for an analogy. The sacrifice is represented by worship, glorifying God, praising God, honoring God. That's the sacrifice. The songs aren't the sacrifice. The songs are a medium, an avenue, a path. But the, the sacrifice itself is from our heart to glorify God. And then, so we've got that, we've got that now, we've got the altar, we've got the wood, we've got the sacrifice. Church, what do we lack? Church, what do we lack? The fire! Well, we have the fire. Now, God is not going to send it down from heaven, because we bring the fire with us. When you come into this building today, somebody didn't hand you a fire. You, it was in your heart when you came. It's not something you just pick up now and then. It's a part of you. That is your sincerity and humility and your, your genuineness and your love for God and uh, in reverence and passion and joy. Those are the things that are in your heart. Those are the things that give wings to your worship. And without them, the sacrifice not going to get off of the ground. I believe that with all my heart. And so our fire is what ignites the, the sacrifice. And we need the fire. And I love that song, Light the Fire, in my heart. Because without a sincere heart, there's no fire on the altar. And our worship, without this treasure from our heart, It's going to be wet and cold. It's not going to be acceptable. So light the fire. Bring the fire with you. Take it home with you. Let the fire be a part of your daily life as you serve God and obey him. And trust him. And tell others about the Lord. Let the fire be there. And you will be a Christian. Saying Samuel, it says, God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. A visitor today looks over the audience. He sees all these people, their voices, beautiful singing, wonderful prayers, and all of that. And man can see that. It's a beautiful sight. It's wonderful. But God sees the heart. Because we can do all of that on our heart, not be in it. First Chronicles 28, 9 says, As for you, know the God of your Father and serve Him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. So worship isn't just using the right words, doing the right things at the right time in the right place, which we do. But worship is from the heart. So again, I say to you as we close, light the fire in your heart and keep it burning brightly. Make a promise to God and to yourself that from this time forward, 
You will worship God with your whole heart. If you need to respond today to recommit your life to Christ, to ask for forgiveness for any purpose, or even to become a Christian, we're here to help you, to receive you, to to help you to do what your heart tells you you need to do. Please come while we stand and sing.